Welcome to Behave, the behavioural science podcast where we discuss, explore and aim to showcase the practical benefits of layering behavioural insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth. Hosted by Pedro Martins, a director at Total Media, the behavioural planning agency. Remember to rate us on wherever you listen to podcasts and for any questions, feedback or requests for future topics, please email us at podcast at behave.co.uk. For more information on anything discussed in the episode and useful downloads, please visit behave.co.uk forward slash podcast. Welcome to Behave, the podcast that aims to showcase practical business benefits through the application of behavioural science to your marketing. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring the importance of fundamental attribution error and truly understanding the importance of context. Again, in the room with me, Will Hamner Lloyd and Richard Shotton. Richard, can you tell us a bit more about this bias? To begin with, let's go back to so the 1973 and one of the most influential experiments in social psychology. And it was an experiment done by two Princeton psychologists called Batson and Darley. And they recruit 40 trainee Catholic priests. They quiz them about their motivation as to why to join the priesthood. You know, are they doing this for altruism, to help other people, or are they doing it for their own salvation? And then they ask those priests to come and meet them in a hall on the Princeton campus. So they have Prince, uh, the, 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 the trainee priests come and meet them one by one. Now, when they get to the, the hall, the psychologists say to them, uh, we want you to go and give a sermon in a nearby church about a five-minute walk away. And then as the trainee priests are heading off on their, on their way, the psychologists either say, oh, gosh, you know, you're running late, you should have been there five minutes ago. So they put them in a, in a, in a rush, they get them stressed. Or they say to those uh, people leaving, you know, you've got plenty of time, you know, expecting about 15 minutes, but you might as well... well head on down and you can wait in the, in the vestibule and they'll come and get you when they're ready. So they've set up two different conditions. Half the priests are in a rush, half the priests have got plenty of time. And then as those priests walk on their way to the church, a confederate of the psychologist, a stooge, is pretending uh, to have been taken ill, he's pretending to have breathing difficulties. And what Batson and Darley want to know is what proportion of people are going to stop and help. Now, overall, that number comes in about 40%. 40% of these uh, participants will stop and help. But they're most interested in how that stopping rate will vary according to either those metrics of like, personality or the metrics of whether they're in a rush or not. So their key finding is that the reason for joining the priesthood makes no difference at all in terms of stopping rates. But whether they're in a rush or not has a very significant effect so 10% of people who are in a rush stop and help, 63% of those who've got plenty of time. So the first thing they establish is that small changes in the context, you know, whether you're in a rush or not, have a big effect on people's behaviour. But then the reason it becomes known as the fundamental attribution error is they then ask people, another group of people, they tell them about the experiment and they ask that group, to predict what they think is going to happen. And most people think uh, whether or not the priests are in a rush or not will have minimal effects, but their reasons, their motivations for joining the priesthood will have a big effect. And a number of experiments done by Batson Darley and another psychologist like Lee Ross show that this overestimation of the importance of personality versus context 
happens again and again. Now, why this is so uh, important to marketers is I would argue that marketing has its own version of the fundamental attribution error. Now, think of all the years the three of us have worked in agencies. Every brief we've got from a client will have always had a target audience on there. But very few of those briefs, maybe one or two, will have had a target context. Now, what marketers should do, if they take Batson and Darley seriously, is of course keep the target audience element on their brief there, but they also need to identify, well, what is the right target context for this particular brand, for this particular message in this particular category? So um, given that context has been so underrated so long, what context should advertisers prioritise? It's probably worth advertisers splitting context into two broad types. You've got internal context and external context. So internal context might be something like mood, as we've mentioned. Um, there's a lovely study by Fred Bronner, who's at the University of Amsterdam, which is very relevant for marketers. And he looked at how the noticeability of ads changes according to mood. So really simple experiment design. It gets 1,287 people to read through a newspaper and then afterwards ask them how many ads they can recall. And then after that, he asked them to rate whether they're in a good mood or not. And there's a lovely bit of phrasing in the, in, in, the, in the paper where he's Dutch, so rather than say, are you in a good mood or a bad mood, he asked people if they were in a super good mood, uh, which I always like. Um, <laughs> very Dutch. Very Dutch, very Dutch. And his main finding is that people, I think, are about 70 75% more likely to notice an ad if they are in a super good mood versus whether they're in a, a bad mood. Now, I love that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's eminently practical. So things like IPA touch points identify the time of day, day of week when people are most likely to be in a good mood. So you, as an advertiser, can prioritise those moments. But also, uh, technology is just making though the identification of moments of good mood even easier. There's a lovely study by Jeff Jenkins at Brigham Young University where he has analysed people's mouse movements and shown that if the mouse is being moved in an even, smooth way, people tend to be relaxed. If it's being moved in a jagged, rush way, they tend to be stressed. So sooner or later, we'll be able to target on that basis. And therefore, rather than reaching people just at moments when they're likely to be in a good mood, we can reach them in moments when they're actually in a good mood. I think mood's really, Mm. really interesting. One of the areas... I've personally been interested in is what are the negative moods that might be good to target? I think there's been quite a lot about how sometimes people notice ads, engage more with ads when they're in a good mood. Uh, I think there's some really interesting uh, negative moods to be interested in. One is there's some interesting research that suggests people are much more likely to give to charity when they're in a sad mood. The reason being is that it's not altruism. When you give to charity, it makes you feel good about yourself and can therefore uplift your mood. And so there might be really nice opportunities for charities to tap into those sad, negative moments and go, make yourself feel better, give to charity. Another really interesting one is uh, the times we're most likely to make impulse decisions. So actually, broadly, uh, this was research that creditcard.com did in the US to try and find the moments people are most likely to make impulse decisions. They found that excited is the, the maximum one when people do, but actually there are other ones such as being sad 
or angry, where people are also likely to make impulse decisions, again, impulse purchases, so that they can change their mood. One interesting thing I found was that um, actually women are twice as likely as men to make an impulse purchase when sad, but men are twice as likely as women to make an impulse purchase when intoxicated. Um, And I don't know if that's because men get sad, then get intoxicated, (laughs) and then make an impulse purchase, but just some nice differences. Also, young people will make impulse purchases when angry, but the older people get, they seem to make impulse purchases when angry less and less, probably having learned that it was a mistake. So there's some really nice interesting ways you can look at mood and find the right moment for your category or your brand uh, depending on what you want and that tailoring of saying like mood to the particular problem um, the great thing about behavioral science is none of these experiments you have to take on on faith alone so all the data all the methodology of the psychologists and their experimental method all of that is in the public domain so you can take the experiment and rerun it with a few tweaks to your uh, particular needs. So a colleague and I did that for that Fred Bronner experiment because we were thinking, well, OK, noticeability is one aspect of advertising, but you, know, you don't just need to, uh, someone to notice an ad, you need them to uh, agree with it, act upon it. So we took his experiment and we did the tiny little twist where we showed people uh, a range of different Um, auto ads and then got them to rate how much they liked the ads and then just like he did we cut uh, the data by whether those people were in a good mood or not when we asked them to you know uh, kind of self-describe them and what we found was people were um, 60% more likely or that higher propensity to like the ad if they were in a good mood now that you know you can take any of these uh, experiments that we've discussed today or in any other podcast and essentially do the same thing, just rerun it and make sure it, it still works for you. So in, in terms of um, trying to understand that mood, I mean, obviously touch points is a useful tool. Is there, is there any other ways that we can try and identify and target? So we're doing some really interesting work with News UK who have actually um, attempted to build an a AI tool to understand the mood that their different content will generate. So the nature of the stories, the nature of uh, articles people read, and by understanding the language within it, you can understand whether it will put them into a a more angry, negative, happy mood state. We've um, done some research with them and a client of ours, BritBox, where we've actually targeted the mood of our ad to uh, congruent mood states on their website in an attempt to drive and improve engagement Uh, And that's a really interesting way to target by mood, but also for a publisher to start codifying their content into moods. Um, And a really interesting way, I think, for some of the news publishers to take some of the more negative content they have and make it interesting for certain brands. And are there any watchouts when targeting that space or looking at mood or anything that the brand should take into consideration? I think the main one is, as with all behavioural sciences, that you want to avoid any appearance or any reality of being exploitative. Um, Obviously, uh, there are moods that people are naturally in and it will affect their decision-making, but you want to be very careful if you're trying to present gambling brands or alcohol brands or other things where you feel uh, potentially uh, it would be a negative story and a negative approach to try and target people at these moments. 
uh, rather than letting them make what you would consider more rational decisions. So I think it, it works well. It's just, it's just that decision of where and when you want to try and use these techniques. And um, in addition to mood, are there any other sort of related biases to this one? Oh, absolutely. So there's a, there's a huge amount of different biases. So as I mentioned earlier, you, could, you could categorise them into two broad groups, internal, external. So internal might be things like mood, whether you're in a rush or not. And then external might be, you know, are you on your own or in a group? Uh, are you being distracted or are you paying full attention? And in those external areas, there are some really counterintuitive findings. So one external contact that might be of interest to some brands is the moment of distraction. Uh, there's some lovely work, and this all goes back to some work that uh, Festinger did. Uh, Leon Festinger was a professor of psychology at Stanford. And he was particularly interested in the idea of confirmation bias. So that is the problem that we don't interpret information neutrally. We interpret it through a lens of our, our feelings for whoever's communicating. So if you don't like a brand, however many strong arguments they make, you'll just interpret them through a lens of scepticism and cynicism. Now that's a problem for brands because how, you know, how the hell do you persuade anyone of your merits if they're just going to interpret even a very strong, powerful message in that cynical way. So Festinger sets up the problem of confirmation bias, but he also identifies moments when confirmation bias is weakened. And in his classic experiment back in the mid-60s, he recruits members of college fraternities. Uh, so it's a slightly controversial American uh, 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 society. And he plays those members an audio argument about why college fraternities are morally wrong. Half of those participants just hear the audio argument. The other half hear the audio argument while uh, watching an unrelated silent film. So they're distracted. Then, when the audio argument's over, he questions everyone about how much their opinion has changed. And his key finding is people are more likely to have changed their opinion if they had to watch the silent film, you know, if they were distracted. And his explanation is the brain is amazing at generating counter-arguments to maintain its point of, existing point of view. So if it's being distracted, if it's some of that processing functioning power is being used up elsewhere, that ability to generate those counter-arguments is minimised and therefore people are a little bit more open to persuasion. So if you're, if you're trying to... Uh, get rejectors to then consider your brand, target them when they're distracted doing something else. A absolutely. Your, yes. I mean, Suggest that potentially there are many instances where radio could yeah, be a really yeah, powerful yes. tool <laughs> for changing people's perception yeah. because or, it's often something you listen to while doing something else. Or podcasts, even. Or podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So that could affect you. And I think one of the interesting things about that is where behavioural science brings up areas that you might want to target that no one else is thinking of. There's so much conversation at the moment in the industry about quality attention, getting people's good attention. And actually, if you're coming in going, well, this means people are leaving those areas of lower attention where they're distracted, you can potentially get your more effective airtime or space for cheaper cost. Um, and that's a really useful way of using behavioural science to find those areas that other people aren't going for. Excellent. And have you got any practical applications for client? I mean, we've talked about a few already in, this, in the show. Is there, are there any more that come to mind? Um, so, yeah, I think that there's two 
kind of really important things here for clients. One is the day-to-day individual examples of finding uh, moments that work for them. So we have a couple of examples. One is eHarmony, where we actually found that lots of people, particularly years ago, would say they were rejectors of online dating. But that we found on Thursday and Friday nights, quite late between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., when they got home from night out with their friends, were a little bit drunk and were a little bit sad to go back to their flat on their own, they would actually be much more likely uh, to sign up to online dating in that context, in that moment. And so you can find people that you wouldn't normally be your customers would be in a certain moment. And that worked really, really well for eHarmony and had fantastic results. I think it points to a much broader and more important conversation that we have with our clients, which is... This gives you the opportunity to get new customers and new-to-category customers in the right moment, uh, and therefore you should think about your audience as being potentially much broader than you might do instinctively. Uh, A lot of people want to put a lot of effort and time into finding the perfect customer, and actually what you potentially need is just a broad potential customer that's a much larger number of people then in the right moment or context, you can get them to purchase or buy your brand for the first time. And the right mood. Uh, Could be the right (laughs) mood, could be the right context. I think one really interesting example is actually sometimes data about who someone is can be misleading. So there's a lovely concept called moral licensing. And moral licensing is that we feel there's a quotient of good and bad that we can do or should do. And as we do more good, we feel we can get away with more bad. This means that one study uh, showed that actually people who sign up to green energy are ever so, light, ever so slightly more likely to have an affair. Uh, <laughs> hopefully a, a closer-to-home example that people can uh, relate to is that uh, people who join the gym are statistically more likely to put on weight than lose weight. And the reason is that you go to the gym, you feel good about yourself, and then when you look at the extra slice of pizza or the chocolate cake you feel you can have it, and Mm. actually that's more calories than you've burnt. Now, I think that's really interesting for advertisers because we might go, this person has started going to a gym. They want gym clothes, they want healthy food, they are this type of person. Whereas in actual fact, for the period just after they've been to the gym, they are more interested than anyone else in the chocolate cake, in the treat, in the indulgence, because of this concept of moral licensing. And so it shows that we shouldn't put people into these static notions of who they are based on individual bits of data we have about them, because actually, given the right moment or context, it could mean the exact opposite. Well, the only example I really like around confirmation bias is we've discussed the media implication. There's also a creative implication. And the best example is probably British Airways. There's a wonderful book written probably about 10 years ago, by Robert Heath called Seducing the Subconscious. And in that, he uses the example of British Airways from the late 80s when they were trying to win over rejectors because they've got this um, poor image for quality. And so what they do is not make direct claims about their seats being larger, there being more legroom, they're having better stewards and stewardesses. They also made... All their ads, all the audiovisual ads from 1989, all of them were accompanied by um, Delib's flower duet. It's this lovely, haunting piece of classical music. And Heath argues that was the reason they managed to turn around their quality perceptions, because 
it never makes a direct claim, but because of the cultural connotations of uh, classical music, it's uh, uh, that association with premiumness and quality, that was what was effective. Um, and Heath argues that because it was a oblique, uh, indirect association rather than a direct claim, the brain doesn't generate these counter-arguments about why uh, the argument isn't true. So the implication for advertisers there is for media, uh, sometimes if you want to win over rejectors, look for these moments of distraction, but for the creative, it's the body language, it's the oblique messaging, the indirect messaging that's, that's more powerful. So in summary, we have a tendency to underestimate the importance of context. Understanding when to target your ad campaign can have huge benefits. For example, targeting when people are in a good mood increases the likelihood of your advert being well received. And targeting those that are rejectors when distracted by something else can help persuade them to think more positively about your brand. If you want to win a signed copy of Richard Shotton's book, please remember to rate us on whatever platform you're listening to and we'll pick a winner at the end of every week. Will, Richard... Thanks again, and until next week. This podcast is brought to you by Total Media, the behavioural planning agency, an innovative approach to behavioural insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth.